Welcome to the Mammoth Training Podcast. I'm Nick Willie, your host of Mammoth Training Solutions. And this episode is brought to you by Office Evolution. Um, Office Evolution has 72 locations around the country. They've got some great deals going on for the holidays right now. And if you live in the Boise and Eagle area, they've got two locations, one in Boise, one in Eagle. We're at the Eagle location. Uh, you can call Claudine at 208-501-0002 and ask her about some office space. Uh, today, I'm joined by uh, a huge, huge guy in the motocross racing uh, community. Um, this guy literally could ride laps around me with one eye closed. Uh, just want to welcome Weston Pike. How you doing, Weston? Good, man. How you doing, Nick? I'm doing great, man. So excited to have you on. Um, you know, I followed your career, and uh, I think a lot of people don't realize uh, what you went through, even early on in the career. Uh, we're going to talk about that today. Um, yeah, and thanks for coming on the show, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. It should be a fun show. Definitely get down to the nitty-gritty of, of the back end of, of racing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no doubt. And, you know, and really, this podcast is all about mindset. It's, it's all about training. And so it's, you know, I want to talk to people about when they, when they went or got to where they are now, right, what was their mindset? So we're going to go through a lot of that today. And, um, but I just want to kind of start out with uh, y- your story. Um, you just had a birthday, November 20th. So you're 33? 33 now, yeah. Okay, happy birthday Thank belated. You. A couple of days out now. But um, yeah, tell us about just, you know, coming up, how you grew up, uh, high school, that kind of thing, and then how you got into, you know, your career of motorsports. Yeah, so my, my whole career for motorsports was uh, not expected, more or less. So when I went to school um, as a kid, I was... We, we rode dirt bikes a little bit here and there. My dad raced as a, an amateur and all that. And then, you know, we kind of, I've been riding since I was two years old, but my future was never to race motorcycles. It was just, we had fun. We went to the river. We went to Glamis. We rode dirt bikes. Um, I raced a little bit as a, as a younger kid, but never had that vision of, oh, I'm going to race and be a professional racer ever. So that was like the biggest thing for me is like when I did become who I was, I look back like, I never even had an inv- a vision of, of wanting this. Like it wasn't even a want or like a, an excitement for me at that point. So like, as I was going to regular school, I was always a bad kid. Like I was getting in trouble, um, expelled from numerous schools. Um, that's just my background of where I grew up at. I grew up in Lake Elsinore, California. And it mm. was just like, it was, it wasn't the best of, of the best places. So it kind of just created you to want to, be in that violent state of just being a bad kid, you know, because that's what you were approached with. And that's, you know, how the teachers treated you and you, they treated you like you're a bad kid. So, um, you know, moving forward from that, it was, uh, it was actually, I got, I was only riding Glamis at the time in Ocotillo in California, just for fun. Like I'd show up in my, my skin, we got skin gear back mm-hmm. in the day from um, Alberta and we just roll up with skin gear, cut off shorts, ride Glamis and Ocotillo for fun. Um, and then it was at the point of, I don't remember the year, I think 2004, I got expelled from ninth grade, almost finished the year. I played football at the time. Um, <clears throat> same thing, just fighting with kids, um, doing dumb stuff. And mm-hmm. so I got expelled from school. My dad was like, well, idiot, 
what are you going to do now? Are you going to come work for me or do you want to ride dirt bikes? And I was like, well, I'm never going to work for you because <laughs> he's a painting contractor. And I was like, I'm never doing that. Like, you didn't so, want to paint houses for a living? No, I told him I'd rather work at McDonald's than, paint, <laughs> than work for you. So then from that point on, we started, I think, about 05, jumping back into jumping back into riding. And then, uh, you know, from there I had some potential, but it was a lot of work from that point, man. It didn't, it didn't come easy. Oh, I bet. Yeah. You know, a lot of folks don't, a lot of guys that, you know, people like me, fans, we watch you guys on the, on the big screen and we think, oh, that looks so easy. And it, and it looks, you guys make it look easy, but tell us a little bit about what the, what the real work involved in just getting into a pro race and being somewhat competitive. So, the whole program, it's not easy. Obviously, like, you got to – I mean, anybody can race a professional race, but you have to point out. You have to get points in some source of arena cross. Or I'm not sure how they do it. They change it so much now. But back when I was um, a private – or back when I was a, an amateur, I actually spoke with – because you're, you're not allowed to go straight into the 450 class. You have to race 250s for, I think, a season, or you have to, you have to get so many points in 250 class to race a 450. But mm-hmm. – since I was such a bigger guy, I was like I was like 240 when I my first year in 09 when I turned pro from amateurs. So um, my last year amateurs, I won Loretta's. Yamaha dropped me mm-hmm. for next year for 2020 for 2009. Then I was like, you know what, I'm not gonna race <clears throat> amateurs, and and my dad can't afford it because at that point he was going bankrupt. So I was like, well, we got to make a move. So like we went and bought to Honda 450s and mm-hmm. then talk to um, Wonder Warthog, which was like a set like a, they take your bike around, they, you know, help you out kind of deal. So they, the, the owner of that somehow talked to AMA and talked them into letting me get my pro license for 450s and not 250s. And you didn't even have the points yet? I had nothing. I, <laughs> I went in there with nothing. I had, I had no uh, arena cross points. I had nothing. So it was almost, it was very, it was a good thing for me because 250s, I would have, if, if I went back in time and I had to race 250s, I would not be probably sitting here right now talking yeah, like to you. Two, a 240, 240-pound <clears throat> guy riding a 250, yeah. that's like a, a grown-up riding a tricycle. Really. Exactly. It, it is, especially jumping straight into the pros and the lights class. Those guys, you know, the factory guys' bikes are crazy fast. And oh, yeah. with me on no budget trying to race a 250F, like, I would have gotten smoked. So yeah. if it wasn't for that whole process of getting – accepted into ride 450s i would have like i said i wouldn't be sitting here right now because i this whole part of my life would have never happened and i probably would have never made it because of the failure of the just the power to weight ratio and and oh, all that. yeah you have you'd have a huge disadvantage yeah, yeah. so wow well <clears throat> so you started on 450s in 09 um straight out of amateurs mm-hmm. man yeah, how many so people have done that hardly anybody there's a there's a couple guys that have done it now that I, I think so. I mean, they maybe have raced Supercross 250s and then just stepped up to 450s and never mm-hmm. went back to 250s. But um, as far as that, I don't think that maybe there's another one person prior to me that did that that actually had somewhat success. So it was, uh, like I said, it was, a, it was a jump. I mean, it was a grind. I mean, my first my first race, I got ninth, ninth overall at Glen Helen. So that was, you know, kind of the stepping point of like, Oh, Hey, this guy has some potential. But then I struggled a lot through that because I wasn't ready. You know what I mean? It was like mm-hmm. racing the big boys, like never really had that confidence in the 250 class to step into the 450 class and, and compete with those guys. So it was always a lot of struggle and, and crashing and bikes breaking. So it was like a lot of, 
a lot of um, disturbance going on in that time frame. A lot of adversity in, in the grand scheme, right? Yeah. People don't see. So, you know, what what kept you going? First of all, and, and for people that in my audience who may not understand this, you, you said you got top 10 at Glen Helen? Correct, yeah. So th- that's basically for people that are listening, like that's faster than 90% of the riders on the planet. Mm-hmm. Even to get a top 10. I mean, you, you blow the doors off of 90% of the people out there. Oh, yeah. yeah. So that, that's not a, a small deal. Yeah. For example, like that's like that's like showing up to NASCAR and top 10ing and never driving in a professional league before. Like you just do amateur and then you show up and, and, and beat somebody on your own built car that you just built in your house in yeah. your shop you know versus the factory guys so it was a uh, you it's know and obviously deal. too it was i grew up i grew up at that track so i had a lot i mean i've i've ridden i rode there probably for 15 years prior so i had a lot of seat time. no is that glen oh. helen oh glen helen yeah. so i had a Sorry. lot of seat time at that place so i knew it by the back of my head i i i could still race the same track right now and know exactly where to go so mm-hmm. it's that's kind of what helped me jump off into that plate but um but yeah it's just uh yeah, for people that don't understand, it's like uh, it's equivalent to that. Yeah, that's pretty. That's pretty amazing. What what role does belief play? Like when you were younger and you're starting out, you said you didn't really have a vision to even be a Supercross racer, pro mm-hmm. racer. Uh, once you started getting into it in 2009, what kept you going, and, and what belief system did you have to have in your in your mind to keep going up against these factory riders week in and week out? <clears throat> so. I actually ended up um, in about 2009. I met a guy named Bill Toomey from the Wonder Warthog team, okay. and he was um, he used to be a Marine and all that stuff. And then he kind of switched over into the mental side of his career, also with other stuff. So this was like his his side thing he wanted to do just to help out riders. So he actually I met him in '09 as well. About uh, I think I even met him at, at the first round, and so I literally. I worked with him my whole career until I retired in 2018. So he was my mental coach, the person that I spoke to, that I built a plan. I had a vision. I mean, he made me build, he made me structure my program into what do you want? Where, where do you see yourself in this many years? I want you to write this down. I want you to imagine what you're going to be at this year, this year, this year. I want to see um, a structure. I want to see your goals. I want to see your progress. Um, and then we're going to, we're going to overlay it and see what you've done. So if it wasn't for him too, I wouldn't have been this successful because it, for that, for that, for me was guidance. It was, mm-hmm. it was something to attack after and something to, to keep reminding myself, like, why are you here? What are you doing this for? What are your goals? Like, where do you see yourself in a couple of years? So with, with Bill, um, we, we laid out a whole thing. So, I mean, I had my, from 09 till I signed my factory deal, I had those years planned out. And we hit our marks pretty much every single year with progress and just my mental stability, like where I'm going, like where's my head at, like every single round, every single race, we broke it down. Like you weren't doing good here, you did good here. How do we fix this? So then we applied that back to then me with my trainer, my moto trainer. So then we mm-hmm. kind of were able to mimic how to better myself uh, as far as on the bike and off the bike mentally, etc. So then I would have goals. So like I made a goal that in 2014 or 15, that I would be on a factory team that mm-hmm. I'd sign with factory Suzuki. And it's crazy how it works out because I signed with factory Suzuki in 2014 outdoors. Yeah. That's my first factory contract. So that's awesome. And I made those goals in 2010. I still have emails. It's like 
you know, it's, it's crazy to think like if you actually put in the work yeah. and most people don't put in that work and most people don't make plans and they don't, uh, they don't look at the bigger picture. They just look at the now instead of like planning ahead, especially in motocross. Cause it's such a small, such a small sport. And there's, there's a lot of opportunities that can be missed super quickly. Mm-hmm. And that's why I always like tell these kids that are privateers that I raced with is like the same dudes that I raced privateer with in 09 are still racing to this day and they're still privateers and they're mm. still struggling because when I was at the track, I was putting in work. I had a program. It was it, business. Yes. It wasn't there. You weren't there to have fun. I wasn't there you just were there to be to like, look at my, I got my pro car. Did I race pro? Like, no, yeah. you're an idiot. You're just doing this for a, for a, for a, a clout yeah, based yeah. thing where like I was there, I'm putting in lap after lap after lap, busting my butt. And these guys are just out there throwing whips and, and, and messing off where yeah. it's like, that's where you look at. Like if you pull my, my stats from 09 and 10 and look at the same privateer guys and then pull them up now in 2023, they're still, there's still it. five or six of them out there and they're still out there sucking yeah. more or less, you know, because yeah. they don't have a plan. They don't have a, a regimen that they follow. And it shows that, that it's like anything in life. You have a, you have a plan and you have a structure, mm-hmm. it's going to go somewhere. As long as you follow that somewhat to a team. But if you're just out there messing around, you're never going to be successful in life. Yeah, I mean, and yeah, and that's in life, that's in business, that's in racing, right, whatever it is. So your regimen, tell me about your rituals. I mean, you obviously mastered, you, you know, with your coach. This is one thing that's huge in business. It's, it's you have to master your mind, your, your own habits, your own body. Like, you got to go to the gym when you don't feel like it, yep. you got to hit the track when you don't feel like it. Cause there's days as a racer, you probably didn't feel like riding. Yes. Yes. Cause you rode yeah. constantly. Yeah. You're, you're training, you're riding you. I mean, trust me, there's days, even when I was in, in 2015, 16, 17, 18, when I was on the factory team, like I wake up in the morning and I'm like, I'm not feeling it. I'd go to the track. I'd, I'd warm up and I'd literally pack my bike up and go home. Cause I'm like the quality of riding I'm going to get not feeling it is going to be crap and it's going to set me back and it's going to get in my head and yeah. be like, Hey, this week's crap. Like you, you rode like crap. Then, then you're going to think about it going into that weekend. So it was all like just trying to figure out that basis of like how to like always keep yourself on edge, mm-hmm. but not go over the edge or not fall underneath that edge. So like, that was yeah. the hardest thing of like, cause it's, it's all a game. It's all mind game at the end of the day. Like, you know, yeah. if you have one bad race that sits with you till you, till you come over that. So if you can somehow, figure out how to how to wash that out mm-hmm. that's the most important thing because if you just keep riding on that crap result you're gonna see crap results so yeah well and you said something that's super important that people need to hear you may not have done a full practice that day but you freaking showed up mm-hmm. you still showed up you know you still unloaded you still made an attempt you know yeah. and most people in life they just don't show up you know especially yeah. in business like the thing that separates you know, a billion dollar company from a million dollar company is that billionaire showed up every single day for 30 mm-hmm. years. You know? Oh yeah. So no, that's exactly, it's important. Cause that's how I was my whole career. Like, I mean, that's just how I grew up too. Is like, even if you have a broken foot and, or vice versa, you still have to show up. You still have to be there. You, like I always had the mentality of like, I always raced with injuries mm-hmm. and that was now I'm, now I'm paying for it <laughs> in this time, you know, of my career being retired. But that was what it was. I was a grinder. Like I didn't know anything other than to just be a grinder, to show up and prove that this is who I am. Cause I worked so hard to get to the point where I was at yeah. that I felt, I always felt 
that if I can never let this person down, like my team owners or my dad or my trainer, I'm like, if I don't show up this weekend, I'm going to be a, uh, it's like a little, I'm a little girl cause I didn't show up. Yeah. Like, like you're, you're a waste of time. So like I always had that, that mentality of like, you better show up, you better perform, give it all you can. Yeah. And just at least show that respect to the people that have given you this opportunity that I've given it all I can. And mm-hmm. this is, this is it. Like I can remember like 2000, what, 15? No, 2000. Yeah. My first year No, on, on JGR. I was in Phoenix and I, I, two laps to go. I was, I passed Dungey early on the race. I was running third. I literally two laps to go. Dungey was still about two seconds behind me, three seconds behind me. I was, I had him covered. Yeah. I went over, I landed off a jump and my foot was out a little too far off the peg, rolled my ankle, snapped my foot. Mm -hmm. I still finished the two laps. Dungey passed me because I couldn't hold him off at that point. I literally, Went, I was in Phoenix. We drove back home to Cali, had surgery on a Monday, had my foot wired, the bone wired shut, showed up to the next round in Anaheim the next weekend. Yeah. Tried to ride practice, landed off the finish line double, and just the pressure of the boot and the, and the swelling, it snapped the bone back off again. Oh. So it's like, that's just kind of like, that's the determination I have. And that's, yeah. the, that's the grind I had because I'm like, if it's the, the, the doctor told me, he's like, oh, if it's, it, it won't break. I'm like, all right, well, I'm riding. <laughs> well, I'm going to test yeah, that yeah. out. <laughs> so then it broke, and then that set me back a couple weeks. You know? Yeah. So. But, I mean, you know, in business, people get, you know, they lose confidence just because, you know, maybe they do a cold call, they try to get their, their name out there, and somebody rejects them. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, they, they retreat. Oh, you know, I'm not going to go cold call again because I, I feel rejected. And, you know, people, that's the majority of folks out there. The people who win in life do what you did. I mean, they mm-hmm. keep grinding even when it hurts, even when it's painful, or even when, you know, you're feeling rejected by, you know, business owners or whoever it is, you just keep going. <clears throat> yeah. Like, you don't you don't quit. Yeah, it's the same thing. Like, that was that was also my mentality of, like, going through my privateer days as a, as a pro was I was more scared to fail because of my dad. I was scared of my dad. Like, I was just scared he going to whoop me. You After you mean? got a... It, uh, expelled out of school, you better do something. Right? Yeah, well, just that, and like I always had that. Even when I was uh, like later on in my career, like as a factory rider, I always had that. That um, what are you? What am I trying to say? So like, I always felt like I could never fail my parents mm-hmm. and my family because they spent so much money to get me to where I was at. Yeah. But if I let them down, if I fail, like there's so many times like when I was a privateer, like I'm like. I'm done. I'm quitting. I suck. I can't get a ride. I can't get help. What am I doing out here? Like, yeah. why am I doing this? But like every single time I wanted to quit, like there was a handful of times I was like, I'm done. I'm quitting. This is a waste of time. What am I doing out here? Like nothing's happening. Results are crap. Can't get help. Bikes mm-hmm. are, bikes are just held together because we don't have money to put them together. So it's like, but I always like went back to, you can't quit. Like, yeah. Your dad's going to whoop you. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's how I was. I lived my life was just like always having that in the back of my head of that. They gave me everything they had to get me to that point. Yeah. So like that's, that was another big thing too, that kind of kept me motivated was never letting my parents down for what they've done for me. Yeah. I know. Um, I think in a lot of sports, kids sports, and, and you were a little bit older, you weren't a young kid, but even it starts even as young as like four or five, mm-hmm. parents sacrifice immensely, right, yeah. to, to get their kids into some of these big time sports. And let's be honest, 95% of those kids will not go anywhere after high school doing that, mm-hmm. right? They won't go yeah. pro, 
that's just the way it is. It's a very small pool. Uh, but, you know, the fact that you felt a little bit of obligation and almost, I think a lot of champions and, and people at, at your level, they've got this chip on their shoulder. And, and whatever that motivation is, it can be different. You didn't want to fail your parents, but mm. they almost have a chip on their shoulder. Like, like I have to prove this to myself, to somebody yep. that I can do it. Yeah, it's exactly kind of what it is in a, in, a, in a way. But it was always that, you know, and then like, you know, back to the thing with these not even just motocross, but I see it motocross because that's my background. Mm-hmm. Is like I see these parents and their kids are four, five, six years old, and, and these parents have ten bikes, ten fifties, ten sixty fives, ten eighty fives. They have a show Jeez. hauler, a motorhome, and they don't even have like I mean, yes, there's some of them that are millionaires that have plenty of money, and it's just like let's go do it for fun, let's have a blast. If you fail, yeah. I don't care. But then you have the people that are like putting everything they have in their life on these four or five year old kids and I'm like, you guys are idiots. Yeah, like, like what are you doing to their mental yeah, state? You're taking second, thirds out in your house and you're you're putting this up, you're putting that up. You're living in a motorhome to gamble on your five year old child that doesn't even know what he wants in life. Right. And you're forcing him into this. And then when he isn't successful at an amateur national, you beat him down. Yeah, you, you get, get mad at him the down. kid instead of... I spent all this money on you, you piece of work, and wow. da, da, da. I've seen it a million times, and I'm like, it's so sad to put a young kid in that environment because you have to have that grind in that one. If you're a young kid, you don't know what that is yet, but right. if, you're, if, you're, if you're just doing it as fun and then you have an opportunity to be successful as it, then that's a different story. But if you're forced into it by your parents... It's so tough because you see it all the time. You see all these kids fail once they get from amateurs to pro. They mm-hmm. fail because they don't they don't know how to handle pressure. Right. They don't. It's like they they crumble because they've been handed everything to them their whole lives, and then they have a little bit of pressure on their shoulders to have to perform yeah. in, in, a, in a sake where now daddy's gone, and yeah. then you're you're under a new under new management, and you fail and you don't know how to come back from that, and then all these riders I've seen it a million times. There's go through a list of 50 of them. Mm-hmm. They all fail. And where are they at now? They're gone. They're the best amateurs. And now one year pro two years pro they fail because they don't ever have structure and they don't have a plan. They, they show up and they think they show up to the races and they think they have it all figured out without having the right people in their corner mm-hmm. and they fail. I see it over and over again. I mean, I think that happens just just in life in general, right? Like people, a lot of people, and unfortunately in your sport, kids are taught that their talent is everything. Mm-hmm. And hard work outperforms talent every every day of the week. Yeah. Would you agree? Oh, for sure. I mean, that was, I had zero talent. Trust me. Like people would say like, oh, you had talent. I'm like, you didn't see me when I, <laughs> my, in 2010 or in 2009 off season, after I raced outdoors, trying to ride a supercross track. I wish I had footage of it. Just felt like a goon. It was embarrassing. Like, I I trained with with Jerry Dostal, an old Supercross racer. Mm -hmm. And that was my first trainer on Supercross. And, like, I could see how terrible I was. You know what I mean? It's just, like, I had zero talent. I had all work ethic. And that's... That's the difference of giving you that that drive because there's a there's a handful of riders out there that have so much talent, but yeah. they don't want to put the work in. It's just like anything else in life, you know. You have this yeah. talent, this given talent, but then at the end of the day, you could be a champion, but you don't even know what work ethic is because you've never had to have pressure put on you to actually yeah. perform. You've never been in a loss in your life where you've been at ground zero borrowing money from people just to get to the races or to book a hotel like yeah. I have in my career. So it's like yeah. people don't understand 
that end of the side of it, they don't understand if they just put a little bit of work in, they would make them so much better, you know? Yeah, for sure. For sure. What's a, what's a common myth about racing that most people think is true, but it's not true? And we talked about a little um, bit, but... As far as, like, like the, the average person on the couch watching? Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's a, I mean, it's, it's tough to say that, but it's more like, I always get a lot of the times like, oh man, that's not that hard looking. Mm-hmm. I could do that. Like, it, it's like, they don't really understand what goes into it because they don't know the back end of it. So they just see guys riding around the track on a dirt bike and they think it's equivalent to like a street bike on mm-hmm. the road. And they're like, oh, anybody could ride a street bike down the road. But then it's like, you know, that whole thing where people just don't even understand and consider how much goes into it, yeah. how much dedication and how much drive and, and work ethic alone goes into it, not alone mindset and, and overcoming seat bouncing a freaking huge triple out of a turn. Like, it, come on, let's be real. You go hop on something. and Normal, normal people wouldn't even go over that. No, like, yeah, you it's know? like, so then I've gotten into it before too with people like, Oh, that's, that's not bad. I'm like, you know what? Here, I'll buy you a motorcycle and gear, <laughs> and you could take your happy butt out there yeah. and do it yourself and show me what it, how easy it is, you know? Yeah, yeah. But well, I, I would say the danger, too. People people that watch that, and, and I mean, you got to realize millions and millions of people that watch you guys on TV have never ridden a dirt bike. Mm-hmm. They don't understand the, the um, danger <clears throat> aspect yeah. of what you guys did, right? What you do. Um, but if you come up short on, I mean... You could be in the first the first uh, rhythm section, the first lap. You come up short on the wrong jump, and you're you're going home. Yeah, right? you're broken oh, yeah. ankles. You're yeah. it's um, yeah. You can get. I mean, especially yeah, early on in the race. You know, you come up short, get landed on. You know, yeah. cross up with another rider, get injured. It's like that's it. You're done. You're going home. You know. So it's like yeah, that aspect of just the danger alone is you know, a bike blows up, something breaks on the bike, and it's it's happened to me a handful of times. It's like mm-hmm. crash, get hurt, and it's it's totally out of your control. Yeah. And it's just, you know, that's the other game side of the motocross is like the things that happen that are out of your control, mm-hmm. it beats you down too, you know? Because then it's like, what is going on? Why does this keep happening? Why is this breaking? Or why is this happening? So it's always like, you're always trying to chase something and you're always trying to just stay mentally positive as possible, mm-hmm. even whatever gets thrown at you to, to, to keep moving forward, to never have that that thing over your head that's the hardest yeah. thing is to keep your mind clear all the time because like i said it's it's one of those things where if you have one bad week which i've had hundreds of bad weeks you know over yeah. 12 years of racing it's like you could have one bad race like not performing tired like you're sluggish and then you go the next week you overtrain again like i suck i'm gonna ride a ton of laps mm-hmm. then you show up the next weekend done again what's going on you yeah. know so then i've it's up and down, man. It's it's crazy how you you got and then you got to find that that program that works for you, and it's it's tough to find it because every year is different. You know, if you're on a different bike, different team, different state, it's there's so much so much stuff changing that not the average person understands how much physical effort and time come and goes into on the bike and off the bike. Mm-hmm. So it's it, there's so much that goes on that the outside world doesn't see that yeah. just throws in and dives and, and and talks crap to people on social media like oh, you suck this or that. It's like, who are you to even open your mouth? Yeah. Like, you're sitting on your couch talking crap on your phone. You've yeah. never amounted to anything in your life that we've done, but yet you want to run your mouth. It's I hate it so much, like how these people can just burn another rider 
and have never lived through it. Like right. if you're a racer, I feel like if like if I'm a racer, I could dog somebody because I could see what they're doing. I could see their program. But if you're <laughs> sitting on the couch and you've never raced a pro race in your life, shut up. You have no say so. You shouldn't even be allowed to comment on somebody's post if they didn't do well. You know. Right. So it's just. It's tough to, it's tough to, there's a lot of mind games with people and just like, just juggling all these different acts. Well, you're, you know, you're in the, in the kind of in the spotlight where I don't have to even care what other people think. I just, you know, and, and that's, that would be my advice actually for anybody out there in business or uh, sports or whatever. Just, you know, one of the biggest rules I follow is just negate the naysayers. You know, mm -hmm. I just, I don't even, it just doesn't even phase me. Mm -hmm. I don't even notice anymore because going forward, you know, driving, looking through the windshield is much more effective than driving, looking through the, you know, the rear view mm -hmm. mirror. Yeah. Right. So, but, um, you know, I saw going back to the danger aspect. I don't know. I don't remember which rider it was, but they were on a, a big motocross track and they were hitting like a hundred foot tabletop and his chain broke on the face. Mm -hmm. And if it, if that chain would have broke, you know, 10 feet before that dude would have been it carted off in an in yeah. ambulance, yeah. you know, just those uh, mechanical failures that you, you have no idea it's going to happen. And, you know, you guys probably changed your chain all the time as a pro yeah. rider, yeah, right? Yeah, we raced. I mean, practice, we'd race. I mean, with practice, we would have a chain for a week, mm -hmm. a week and a half. Or, like, we'd race with a chain, bring it home for practice, use it for a week or two, swap it out. But, dude, our, our factory race bikes, like, brand new chain. Brand new every weekend. Yeah, we did so. A, we literally had a brand new motor. Every we'd ra we'd race for Supercross. We'd use the same motor for two ra two rounds. Done later. Yeah. Outdoors almost every single weekend. Yeah. Chains, plastics, uh, tires, rims, grips, everything. It's like because that's what we're doing. We these teams are spending millions of dollars on us riders to race to win and to perform. So they'd never take that corner of cutting to not make sure the bike's one hundred percent every single weekend. Yeah, they want to reduce any risk of failure that yeah, they can. Yeah, exactly. It's, you know, and yeah. you still see people smoke their clutches and mm -hmm. stuff, you know. Oh, I'm a big fan. I do that a lot. Do you? <laughs> oh, dude, I had a – I've – I've in privateer days, like, I would smoke a clutch in practice. Dang. Like, my dad would be livid with me. But it was just one of those things where, you know, you're a privateer. You're trying, you're trying everything you possibly can to get good results. And – you're you're overriding the bike and, and just and hammering down, you know. So just smoking clutches and it's that's just part of it, you know. You're, you're not yeah. if you're not comfortable, you're using the clutch too much. So it's like it's always just trying to trying to make the best of it and and uh, not smoke a clutch. I've done that a lot. Well, you know, with that new electric bike, you won't have to worry about yeah, that. True, right? That thing is sick. You <laughs> yeah. rode that the Stark. Yep, yep. I yeah, that thing is times. that thing is like next level. Yeah, it's I'm crazy. almost I'm trying to think like what. There's got to be a flaw because all motorcycle, all motorbikes have a flaw. Yeah. So, at that point of what, what I'm wondering, like once there's more time on those bikes, like what is the flaw? Like there's a clutch that goes out on a on a on a motorbike. Right. Like, with the electric bike, what? Where's the flaw? Like where is the, it's, where's the the part that is going to possibly fail like a regular dirt bike would? Yeah, I mean. I don't know. I mean, you could bust the suspension, right? Snap the yeah. suspension spring or something like that. Um, but I, I don't know. They look pretty solid. Yeah. They they ride pretty solid as well. You know, in the Alta, I don't know if you remember the Alta bike. Yep. That when that last version of that, I mean, it didn't really have any issues either. Mm -hmm. That yeah, was I, a pretty solid bike. I didn't ride that bike, but I, I seen it and it. I said, but that, it came and get, it 
came and went so fast. There was never a, it, it didn't make a stamp like Stark did. Right. <clears throat> so. you, you know the story of what happened, right? Yeah, didn't Harley, Harley bought him out and then took the technology and, and, and crushed it or something? Some, Who knows? Something, <laughs> something happened yeah. uh, with Harley Davidson that they didn't expect. I could just yeah. tell you that. Um, but, you know, that that just goes to show, too, like when you're in business, be careful who you're who you're dealing with. Mm-hmm. Right. Because there, there are companies out there that just want to take advantage of a situation mm-hmm. um, so that they can further their their business. So as far as your <clears throat> professional mentor, that would probably be your coach. Right. The, the riding coach you told me about. So that was um, so Bill was my mental coach. Mental he, coach. he was like my behind the scenes because he never really wanted to be a limelight guy. He doesn't want mm-hmm. the clout mm-hmm. for anything. Like, like I, I've talked to him right now. I'm trying to set him up with, like every year I, I look at riders and I'm like, this guy, this guy may need help. Like, and I'll talk to him like, Hey, do you want to, do you want to work with him? Is he worth, is he worth the results? Do you think we could build him to be a better rider? Mm-hmm. So like, I still talk to him once a week to this nice. day. And like, so we just, cause he's always about helping people. He doesn't even, you know, want to get paid on it. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, yeah, he does if there's success with it, but at the end of the day, he just wants to test himself of his theory if it could work. Because me, like I said, I was a mystery. I was like a mm-hmm. mystery child, like a unicorn. So, like, if you went back in the time, nobody ever thought that I would be worth a crap mm-hmm. because of my weight, my lateness coming into the sport. And then, but for me, it was just overcoming and proving people wrong. You know, yeah. like, if you have a structure, you have a plan, you can do anything with, with anything you have. So, yeah. so yeah, so Bill was, um, Bill was my mental coach. So he, he did all of my, my head game stuff, like be in the right position at the right time, you know, focus on this, not that. And then I had, um, a dirt bike trainer too, which was Buddy Antonez mm-hmm. for my, most of my career. So like I had a, a moto trainer, Buddy Antonez, and then Bill was my mental coach. Yeah. So like, and they both didn't really work together. Because they didn't know each other. It was like they knew that they both existed, mm-hmm. but there was never like they would never talk. Yeah. It was always like separate. This is this guy. This is this guy. They both do their own job. And then if there's a big issue, they'll come together and talk about it. But for the most part, it never ended up being that way because I was always straightforward with both parties. Yeah. Well, and <clears throat> I mean, it sounds like one of them was coaching your mind. The other one's coaching your technique. Yep. So totally different things. Totally different things, um, yeah. And both equally important. So would you would you recommend anybody out there who, who has a business or who just, you know, wants to get great at something, would you recommend a coach for those people? I would. I mean, I think it's it's extremely valuable because, yeah. like, if, you, if you're just starting off a business or, or you've been in the business game, like, and you're, like, for instance, if you're, if you're new, you need all the help you can get because mm-hmm. you don't know anything. Like, I've started my own couple of businesses here and there, and I've had to ask numerous people, how the hell do I do this? Yeah. Where yeah. do I start? Business licenses, permits, accounts, this and that. So, like, you need that guidance starting out, and then you have the people that have been around for so long. Like, I always give my dad crap. It's like, I'm like, you're so old school, dude. Like, <laughs> like get with the times. Like, like his painting contracting business, he's been doing it for 30 years. So he still like, has that business. He gave it to my brother when he moved to Texas. So, okay. so, but then it's a perfect example. My dad was so old school, like hand-drawn plans, written up plans. Like um, everything was, was old school. Yep. Then 
I kept telling him, like, dude, you got you to gotta do social media. You have to do things differently now because people aren't doing this old school stuff anymore. Mm-hmm. Like, so once my brother took over, he's now turned it into modern um, work program, modern business structures, like doing ads and mm-hmm. just to be relevant because there's so many companies out here these days. Like, yeah. you have to stay in front of somebody else. And then, so my brother's definitely doing good with it. He's took it off to another level. Nice. So, um, but just one of those things, like, yeah, it's, uh, whether you're new to something or you've been in it, like you always need that advice from somebody else of like what is current. Cause like it's, mm-hmm. if you don't have that guidance or have someone to help you with stuff, like you just get uh supplacent or complacent. complacent, sorry. Yeah. You get complacent with, with what you're doing. And then you don't have that new grind, that new, like that new drive to want to make something better. So mm-hmm. it's always good to have somebody like that. And I always recommend it, like, especially dirt bike riders and athletes, like, you just get so used to doing the same thing and it gets so repetitive that you start falling off of your end game of what you want to see because you're not always staying on top and you're not constantly working on the things you need to work on. So it's just... So you can lose, motiv- <clears throat> you can lose motivation. Yeah. And if you're not attacking a target every single day, you start to your motivation starts to wane right yeah. a little bit at a time. Yeah. yeah and then so eventually people give up. It does, yeah. Like I'm saying, I'm not joking. Like my my program, all the way until I got hurt and had to force retired. Every single weekend, I had a plan. Yeah. I had I had a goal with Bill. This is what I'm finishing this weekend. Like before I even flew out on a Friday to get to the races. Like that Tuesday, Wednesday, we'd email, and he's like, "Where do you see yourself this weekend based on this track, this dirt, your previous results here? Mm-hmm. How are you feeling? Where's your head at?" where do you see yourself finishing? So then I'm like, okay, I'm going to Atlanta. I like the dirt here. I've had good results here. I've won a triple crown here before. Let's say I feel like I'm going to get a podium or fourth place. Mm -hmm. And I would hit my marks almost every single weekend just because like that was in my head on Tuesday. You determined it. Yeah, I already, I'm I'm envisioning it. I would write it down on my bar pad. I'd put tape on my bar pad. And I'd put which place I'm going to get. I'd write it on my hand with a Sharpie. Second place. Mm-hmm. Every time you take off your gloves, second place. Yeah. So it's like I always would premeditate where I was going to be at in my career. And that's a big thing, too, with any sport is, like, put, put yourself in the position you want to be in. Don't just show up not knowing what you want to do. Do you think uh, NFL players go go to the uh, – what do they call it? The World Series? No, the World Series. That's, that's baseball. No, the t- – the, uh... <laughs> I don't. We don't watch. Uh, I don't do Super football. Bowl. Super yeah, the Bowl. Super Bowl. They, do you think that one team goes to the Super Bowl, being like, "Oh, we're gonna get second place tonight"? Yeah. No, the teams go there to win. Like right. that's where these riders and these athletes have to put themselves in positions to always win. Like, of and course, business you, people. Yeah, and, and business, business people, people have to do the same thing yeah. every single day, right? And they have to hit your marks, and you have to have that plan. And and that's what I always like tell these people is back to those other privateers. Like I tell them all the time, like quit going to the track and screwing off all day yeah do laps go it's not hard to be like okay i'm gonna show up and do a 10 lap warm-up take a 20 minute break do a 15 lap moto take a break do sprint laps do a 15 lap moto Mm -hmm. plan your day out stop being a waste of space and wasting people's money that's sponsoring you to do the same result every single weekend because you're not putting in the work yeah it goes the same with with business people and and athletes it's like yeah 
have a plan. Like that's the thing I hate people. They don't have plans. Like they yeah. don't have a purpose in life because they don't put themselves in a situation to have a purpose in life. They just mm-hmm. want to exist and they just want to have that clout of, Oh, I'm an athlete. I race motorcycles. I have yeah. a super cross credential. Look at me. Like right, right. I'm here for the chicks and the party. Like grow up, dude. Like yeah. that's how I yeah. look at it. Parties and chicks don't pay the bills. Yeah. I mean, you trust me, mean? I've had, there's the difference though. Cause like I've had my fair share of partying mm-hmm. and chicks through my career, but that was just to like get my mind off the dirt bikes for a night. Yeah. You were just being young. Yeah, I'm young. I can, yep. I want to have fun. Like you can't just live your whole life serious, but there's the stipulations that you have to have structure and you have to have results to be able to have fun. Yeah. Cause that's what keeps it fun. And that's what keeps your, your mind excited for that next race. Like if you're just grind, 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 have no fun then you get complacent and you get bored and you're just like, what am I doing? If you, if you bring in fun, you don't always have to party, but like have right. a good time. You don't have to drink. Yeah. Something you want to do. Yeah. Have fun with your life. Spend the money that you're making mm-hmm. to keep it fun, to give you a reason to go back out and get those results. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, my, for me, grinding is my fun. Yeah. Like I don't have fun. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I have a lot of fun. <laughs> no, I have fun every single day. I have fun. Um, so one thing that I was thinking about last night that, you know, when we go back to mindset and talk about just going after and grinding it every day, you know, even when you're quote unquote failing, because in supercross and motocross and any kind of racing, mm-hmm. you know, to, for most people's belief system, right? Failure would be the, the failure to achieve the win, right? Would be technically a failure mm-hmm. and or the podium, right? Or whatever that goal was. And racers deal with that literally every weekend right i mean most of them yeah. jet jet lawrence didn't deal with that this year but no, no. <laughs> nine times out of yeah. ten you know a racer you know it's not going to win every single moto or every single race and so the the tenacity that it takes and the determination to get to the top level in motocross and supercross is unbelievable mm-hmm. mentally i mean it's like it's a mental bashing every every week if you don't hit the podium yeah so you got to keep going after that mindset of i'm going to do it next week i'm going to do it next week right it is it's it's that it's that game and then when you have a guy like a dominant guy that shows up that's eight 19 19 years old he's 19 now it's like yeah i think he just turned 20 so that's how i know he's 19 and it's like you take webb tomac sexton sexton was clearly had i think sexton had I would say more raw speed, but Sexton had more. I think Sexton would have won more, but he cannot handle being having pressure behind it's him. The it's pressure, the total opposite. Yeah. He's not getting pressure from – he's not in the league getting pressure. He's literally throwing himself away by following another rider, which I've never done because, like, if I'm following a rider – I'm crushing that rider. I'm going to mentally break you if I'm behind mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. I am gonna, I'm going to wear you down. And I'm going to make you crash. Yeah. Sexton, on the other hand, would get so frustrated because it's in his head. I think his head, he's, he's definitely strong, but it's a perfect example of like, he got in his own head getting behind Jet because he'd start telling himself like, all right, I'm behind Jet. Jet's fast. He's here. He's there. He's, he's fast, blah, blah, blah. And then he's getting in his head so quickly that he crashes, makes mistakes. He's clearly faster. He catches them every time. Mm-hmm. Then he, he gets in his own head and crashes. So it's like, I've never seen somebody in my entire life be so fast and then get behind a rider 
and then make the mistake instead of being the leader and having a rider behind you and making a mistake. Right, right. So, like, watching that all year in outdoors, I'm like, what is going on? Like, this kid needs... He needs a mental coach. Uh, he needs a mental Seriously. coach. He needs to figure out how to break his his stride of of corrupting himself on the track. Like, because yeah. he's, he's, like, self-sabotaging himself before he even passes Jet. And I'm like... Yep. Dude, you're so fast. You have so much speed. Quit doing this. Like, yeah, it's 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 chaos to me. I'm like, it's 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 nuts. Well, and the level that the level that they're riding at is so it's it's like off the charts. It's higher than any any riders, I mean, to date. Right? Yeah. The bikes are so freaking fast. They handle so well. I mean, it's unbelievable how fast they're going. And for you know, to see uh, Sexton come up on jet like that, it's like how how, how is that possible? Yeah, exactly. I don't even know how the bike stays on the ground. Yeah. Quite honestly, yeah, it's it's crazy. But then. Then you hear stuff like an interview I heard with uh, Sexton was that his Honda was so rigid and so stiff that it was like a two by four. This was his uh, his podcast with um, uh, the Japanese guy. I'm sorry. Oh, uh, not Vital uh, MX. Sorry, uh, whoever you are, you know who I am. Yeah, not Vital MX. <laughs> not Vital. Um, man, what am I trying to say? One of those anyways, other podcasts. Anyways, he said one of those bike. one of those podcasts is not as important as this one. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> he said his bike's super rigid and stiff, and I'm like, well, for starters, I know the suspension guy on the team of Honda. Yeah. So he used to be my mechanic, my practice mechanic. Okay. So he was handling Chase and Hunter and Jet for Supercross on the show. Well, as soon as Hunter, or no, sorry, as soon as Jet stepped up to 450s, Chase was upset because he knew his speed. He went and had to get his own suspension guy. Oh, really? So he now has his own guy. So it's like, now you have Jet destroying Chase. You're on the same motorcycle. You, you, yeah. Chase can get anything he wants on Honda to a point. There's stipulations of what you can and can't do. But for the right. most part, it's like, if you want to change your suspension 50 times during Monday to Thursday before you fly to a race, we have our own show guy at the track. We have a box van. We have factory Honda truck. You yeah. can change your motorcycle from tire, from back tire to front tire, up, down, chassis, parts, hard parts, whatever you want. And for him to say, oh, my bike is so rigid and stiff, that just shows to me, like, you're, you're testing and, you're, and you're, you're already over this team and you're already on to something else without finishing out your team. So it's like yeah. a mental game. It's like you already, you already deflated yourself. Yeah. by coming up with excuses, hiring your own suspension guy, so on, so on. Instead of just executing your year like, and putting a little bit more effort into making your bike better, because if Jet's out there winning, you don't hear him complaining about the bike. He makes that bike look like a TTR 125. Like yeah. It's so easy. Obviously, riding style is different, but they both have a similar standing type of riding. Well, and they're both top riders. Yeah. I mean, the bike... Jet's bike is not that much different than Chase's. No. And, and if Chase no. wants the exact same bike as Jet has, he basically has it. He just yeah. has to say, make it the same if yeah. he wanted to, right? Jet or or Chase could go, like I said, on Monday, debrief on, on a Saturday after the race or Sunday, have a meeting with the team, be like, hey, guys, I want to make a change. Mm -hmm. Bring me Jet's bike on Monday. At Corona Supercross track, yeah. Monday, I want... Jet's identical bike, suspension, chassis, everything under the sun, tires, down to 
torque the specs. bolts and <laughs> right. torque specs. Yeah. That will happen. So yeah. it's like, I just think that he was so, that Jet was already in his head. Yeah. And I know they're friends, but it's like, I feel like Jet, Jet's smart. He's a smart young kid. He's very knowledgeable. Mm-hmm. And he knows how to get in people's heads. Because yep. he's cocky, but he's, he backs up his cockiness. Right, right. Which is, which is hard to do. Like, there's a lot of cocky kids, but to back it up like he does is another world. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like he's, he's, he's mentally strong. So, Well, and I got to tell you, I mean, to anybody out there who's having a struggle with whatever it is, their business, their, you know, their racing, whatever that is, their relationships, every time you blame an inanimate object, you basically give all your power to something else, mm-hmm. right? Taking full responsibility for everything that happens. I mean, he's got to take responsibility that he picked another suspension guy and it's mm-hmm. not working. Yeah, That's his responsibility. It's not the bike's fault. The yeah. bike is an, is an object. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, taking full responsibility. What do I need to do? What did I do to cause this and how can I fix it? Yeah. And that's what you did in your career. I mean, every day. Yeah. Well, that's, that's you know, and that's is, pretty yeah. awesome. Is yeah, you have to take responsibility in anything. And in, as an athlete, as a business, like if you're doing something and it's not working, do something else. But make sure when you do something else and it still doesn't work, you have to be accountable for it. Don't blame the change. Right. Just work through it and build on with it. Because that same point was like when I was on JJR with Barsha. He blamed the bike, blamed the bike, but I'm, I'm out there killing him. I'm beating him. Yeah. But it's just, he's cause you, they get so frustrated that, that back to the thing of like these, they, these kids don't know how to handle pressure. Like they, or responsibility or, or just taking honest. blame for themselves. So they, yeah. they put it on somebody else to handle their, their problems. Like a lot of these riders do, they call their parents and their parents call the team. I'm like, you're a grown man. You get paid yeah. millions of dollars to handle your own, bro. Like, stop calling your parents and asking your parents to handle your dirty work. Like, I can't even st- imagine. You have no idea. I can't idea. even imagine that, dude. I'm not going to talk about it because, like, I, I'm still friends with some of these people, but I'm like, what are you doing? Like, grow yeah. up, dude. You make your your base salary is a million, is $1.5 million. Like, your parents should never call and do your dirty work. Yeah. I, so I it's agree. like, it's just, it's crazy, like, the blame and why it's not good or this or that instead of just taking it and then moving forward and, and trying to make it better. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's another, that's another level of, of hashtag adulting, I guess. Yeah. Like they need to be given an adulting class, they you know, do. with the writing yeah. class. <laughs> they need to have an adulting class. Cause like, to be honest, like I would never call my dad and be like, Hey, can you call the team manager and tell him that my bike sucked and I didn't like this and I didn't like that. I'm like, <laughs> My dad was a part of my career, my whole career, but me and my dad also had had it out a lot of the times. Like, I mean, I can imagine your dad would just freaking hang up on you if you said some crap like that. Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, dad, my bike's not. He'd be click. Yeah, he wouldn't right? put up with it. He's like, handle your own, dude. Like, you're yeah. a grown man. Like, yeah. So it's it's crazy the whole you know thing, but it's all back to just having structure. You know? Yeah, and that's the biggest thing that I always fell back on was if I if I didn't have structure, my results weren't there. Yeah, because I have nowhere, I have nothing to guide myself off of. Like, where am I going? I'm, I'm gonna race, and I have no structure, I have no plan, I have no end game. Yeah, you're like just trying to get in a car and drive with no map yeah. and no destination. Yeah, you know. But let's, um, <clears throat> so let's switch it up a little bit to business because you started a business once you retired in 2020, right? Or did you start that furniture business kind of in that interim time between 18 and 20? So I actually, um, I started. I opened a vape shop. Oh, that's Before right. that, in 2015, it was more of a family thing. Like, my dad and my brother 
were part of that, but I was just money backing. Mm-hmm. So like we bought, we opened up from the ground up, started it from the ground up, a, a vape shop, had that for five years, sold it. Um, but then I opened a furniture business, a, furni- a, a retail furniture store, literally, I think five months after my, my injury that I had okay. for my retirement. So um, you weren't even officially retired yet? No, I still, it. I didn't, yeah, I still didn't even, I knew I was retired, but I didn't want to say I was retired because my eye wouldn't, my eye still wasn't coming back. Right. So at that point I was like furniture because my, my neighbor owned a furniture business, um, a warehouse sales, no, no retail, just all strictly warehouse sales okay. um, over social media and ads and all that. So, um, so yeah, I, he came to me and he's like, he's like, what do you want to do? You want to start, you want to open a furniture store? I'm like, what are you talking about? A furniture store? Yeah. What do you mean? And I'm like, I know nothing about furniture. I have no desire to do a furniture store, but I was like, it could, it could make good money. Yeah. So, so then I was like, screw it, let's do it. So it, it happened like way too quick. Like, but that's, like I said, things that happen quick in my life are usually successful because like, yeah. you don't think about it too long. You have a game plan of where the, the end game is going to be. And then you jump with that. So I opened a furniture store. Got a location, got a 4,000-square-foot building, small small location, mm-hmm. but we had warehouses with product. So it's like we're always turning and burning, stocking, stocking. And did you guys have a showroom as well? Yeah. That people could walk in and see all the furniture? Yeah, so I had okay. a 4,000-square-foot showroom in Paris, California, mm-hmm. in the hood. And uh, <laughs> so we had a full retail store, and then across the street we had a 6,000-square-foot um, warehouse with furniture. I had four 15 by 40 storage units full of furniture. Like oh, it was a crazy, it was a crazy, like we had a big circle. It'd be retail store, warehouse, furniture, furniture, uh, storage units. Like it was just this big triangle of, of hell. That's what I call it <laughs> for, for three years of my furniture life. Wasn't your passion in life, dude. I, I had the furniture store and I never even said I had a furniture store, like social media wise. Like nobody even yeah, knew I had a furniture store. Until after 2020. That's yeah. when I found out. Yeah. Because I was like a furniture store. Like I almost felt embarrassed, not embarrassed, <laughs> but I felt like I still had an ego because I was still racing. I'm like, yeah. I took it as like, like that was a loss for me, like mm. doing something else. So like that mentally for me was tough because I was still going through it. Like head injury, lost my eyesight, mm-hmm. can't race a motorcycle, open a furniture store. I don't want to promote a furniture store. I'm a freaking <laughs> athlete, dude. So like, I never told anybody. I, I told my friends about it and that was it. Like yeah. I never promoted it. I could have promoted it and made it a, a lot more money, but I didn't like people would show up in my business partner and be like, Oh, you know, uh, Weston Pike's the owner. And they're like, no way. Like, so it's like, it's just funny stuff how it works. But yeah, that whole furniture business was, um, started that up. Um, I, I ran all the business side of it. I got all mm-hmm. the accounts opened up. Like I handled the bank account, the payroll, all the bills and all that stuff. And I walked into that knowing zero about so, business, about business. I knew wow. nothing because my vape shop, my dad handled it. My dad's business guy. Yeah. So I was just the money guy for that. And so the furniture store, I was like, what am I doing? I have to do like, and then you get into mattresses and then you have now state involved. Mm-hmm. With with recycled materials, non-recycled materials, hazard materials, pay fees for hazard materials. There's this whole other line of, of stuff that you can get caught up on. Yeah. And paying taxes on on materials <laughs> and this and that. And I'm just like, what am I doing? I hope I did this right. And I hope I don't get an issue with the government. An audit or, or something. Audit like or that. something like that. Yeah. But yeah, I've already been audited through my dirt bike stuff, which is <laughs> not fun. But uh so yeah, I started the furniture store and like like no joke, it was like I think I put in twenty grand. And you started up? Started up with 20 grand. And your neighbor was already doing it, right? Yeah, my neighbor was already doing it. What was his sales when you started? Um, 
I never actually asked him what his, because he had a store in Paris. He had a, um, a warehouse in Paris, Ontario, California, Vegas, um, Reno, and he shut down his other one. So he had like three or four locations that he would just do online sales only. Mm-hmm. And, um, but I'm sure it was good. I mean, he's, he didn't live a, like a, he's, he looked like he had money, like, but yeah. he didn't spend money like, like I did. You know what I mean? Like, right. or not only say that, like he just didn't look like he had a ton of money, but I know they did well for themselves, but he was always, he always helped people out. He was always like a helping hand guy. Like that was my problem with him with business was like, he would do these deals and I'm like, I'm looking at the cost of the product. And right. I'm like, dude, we just paid. The, our cost is is a thousand dollars. You charged them fifteen hundred dollars and didn't even charge them tax, mm-hmm. and they just did a cash deal. Yeah. But so like that's where I always fought with him on these deals. Like he would do, but he was a hustler. Like his name's Hustler. Like nice. in, the, in, in the industry of furniture, he's been doing it for thirty years. Like so, if you go to like, oh, wow. if you go to the furniture places in deep LA, you're like, oh, I'm picking up for Hustler. They're like, oh, I know the Hustler. Like, yeah, so yeah. like he has a name so He's for a well-known him. guy. Yeah. So like, but that was the issue was, was the, the charging properly, taxes, no taxes, this, that, blah, blah, blah. But at the end of the day, dude, we did our first year. We, our, our first, like we did it. We we're probably only open April to December. We did almost, we did a million dollars, I think $1.2 million. Nice. In a 4,000 square foot location. Yeah, that's awesome. And then that's not including the cash money mm-hmm. side of it. So like, I was like, damn, this is cool. Like the money's good. Yeah. But, and I was, gr- but I was grinding though. I was doing, I went from racing dirt bikes, dude, to like, I would be up at eight in the morning. I'd be at the, at the showroom floor looking at what my sales lady sold off the floor. Yeah. What empty space is there. Then I'd get the truck and trailer, drive to the warehouse, get product go back to the warehouse set it up to be open by 10 yeah and then i'd help run the floor i'd help do sales um then my delivery guys when they got backed up i'd go to deliveries dude so i'm talking like i went from racing motorcycles making good money to now i'm doing furniture making good money but i'm working seven in the morning to 10 o'clock at night doing deliveries that my delivery guys are doing that are just slow and late right right so it was like that was like my first reality of like a job even though I was the business owner, yeah. but it was like, this is a job. So that made me hate it. That was the mm-hmm. problem is like, because I didn't need the money at all. I just was like, I like to grind and yeah. I liked money. So like I took it as as a challenge mm-hmm. and it challenged me very well because it was three years of a challenge. Like, and but the, but the money was awesome. And then, and then I moved to Idaho and he bought me out. And wow. then, so now he took it over. But, but you learned a lot. <clears throat> I mean, yeah. you learned a lot about customer service you were going in people's houses yep. i imagine right yeah delivering yeah. furniture setting it up like you, you couldn't swear everywhere you had to be careful of that probably yeah, yeah, yeah like it's of. different <laughs> <laughs> but then again like i said i was in the hood dude i was in paris oh, yeah, california so like that's true dude i was they didn't really care i would deliver dude i would do deliveries and i'm like what am i doing I, on the drive there i'm like I have plenty of money. Like, where am like, I? Right not to now? be cocky, but I'm just like, I have plenty of money. Why am I delivering a mattress that I'm making $300 on? But for like, after in this night, neighborhood, in this place, <laughs> and I'm driving down a dirt road in Paris. It's like little Mexico. Mm-hmm. And there's like a, a, a mobile home that's split into six different houses in a single wide mobile home. Oh my God. And this is the craziest part. Like, these Hispanics. 
always have cash because that's they're just getting paid cash. Mm-hmm. I'd roll up and I'm like, all right, no English. They're like, I'm like, all right, furniture, mattress, where's it going? Yeah. They're like, just throw it in the dirt. Like, and I'm talking, some of these guys order like three, four thousand dollar oh, bedroom sets and oh pay cash. Gosh. And I'm making like like furniture has good markup on it. So I'm yeah. making good money and I'm like, throw it in the dirt. Throw it in the dirt. Oh my god. Dude, I'm not joking. I would throw a four thousand dollar order in the dirt. Wow. Here's your four thousand dollars cash. All right, sign Dang. the paper, you got it. So it's like that side of it was like, oh cool, we got, you know, we're making good money. But I'm just like, what is happening? This is wow. a, such a crazy area. Cause like we literally, we, yeah, we would uh, we would sell to anybody. Like, it, it was, dude, we would do stuff that I'm just like, I look back, I'm like, we shouldn't have done that. Like, yeah, that's, yeah. That's, that's, not, that's not a good idea to do that. Well, when, <laughs> you know? you're, when you're a new business owner, you do things, you know, sometimes, I guess, that you wouldn't do yeah. once you make it big, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so it is what yeah. it is. So, um, I mean, you, no, you did really well with that, though, to do a million five or so, million two yeah. in a year. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, I was I was shocked. I mean, obviously, but then furniture, there's a lot of expenses. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. did a lot of overhead. You know, yeah. we, we were spending thirty to eighty thousand dollars a month in furniture alone. You know, so mm-hmm. it's like, so at the end of the day, yeah, I mean, we'd take home between cash and and paying ourselves, like we're still making a buck fifty to hundred thousand dollars a year. Yeah, you know, between the two of us. Yeah, for a four thousand square furniture store. That's like, great. Man. But then again, like we were grinding. It was just us. It was yeah. me, Jody. We had one or two sales lady and a delivery guy. So it's like, it was chaos. It's work, man. It it's hard chaos. work to get yeah. any business off the ground. Yeah. You know, speaking of that, um, you know, we've, we've been on it. We've been going an hour, if you can believe that. Dude. Oh, really? It's oh, crazy. Yeah. yeah. But um, we kind of have a, a big deal going on. You want to yeah. talk about that a little bit? Yeah, of course. Yeah, go for Let's it. Take it out. Yeah. So, uh, so kind of crazy. Yeah. Sitting here with Nick. Um, he, he reached out to me on, um, on Facebook, Facebook, and and t- and usually I don't respond to be honest. Like yeah. I, I told you, like so I get so many people that res- that message me about this or that and and all these different things, and then and then you reached out to me, and I was like, this kind of sounds interesting. I'm I'm down to hear it because like I like I'm in a position to like do something at this time. So like mm-hmm. I was like, y'all hear what he has to say. Um, so then sat down, and obviously we were chatting back and forth, and and the suspension brand came up. So I was yeah. like, I was like, oh, crazy small world. I was kind of, you know, thinking about something like that myself doing. And then, so then fast forward everything, you know, going forward. So now I'm excited. We, we've purchased pro line suspension yeah. in Boise, Idaho. And, uh, and we're going to take it to another level and, yeah. and blow it up. Yeah. So. No, I'm super stoked about it as well. And uh, just, I don't know if I told you, but before we sat down, before I messaged you on Facebook, I started my Facebook like four days before that. Oh, I haven't been on Facebook for like 15 <laughs> yeah. years. My last social media platform was MySpace. Yeah. You know, which if you're even old enough to, to I think uh, I remember, remember that. that. I, th- I think I had <laughs> one for two years and then Facebook came out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I've been on LinkedIn for quite a few years and, and I'm starting to build my following on that. But man, I never had a Facebook. And I don't even remember how I saw the ad, but I saw the ad for uh, Weston's coaching, uh, motorcycle coaching company. Mm-hmm. I just happened to see it either on LinkedIn from one of the guys at Showa or somebody. And I'm like, oh, I saw that you lived in Boise. So mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, I just started a Facebook. He's on Facebook. Let me message him. And, um, you know, obviously that, you know, 
the rest is history. But mm-hmm. it's amazing how fast this connection has happened. Like, yeah, you know, I feel yeah. like we're friends now and mm-hmm. we're business partners and we've known each other, what, a month? Yeah, about a month, yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like I said, it's back to my, my thing with the furniture thing. Like, it's, it was something I knew nothing about, which mm-hmm. I know about suspension, but I've never owned a suspension business. So, right. like, but it's like the thing with that is like, I already know something's going to be successful. So, like, I typically have like this thought or this mentality, like, that I'm like, oh, it's, I know it's going to be successful. Like, yeah. Well, I mean, you're in business with a certified business coach too. That yeah. won't, that won't hurt it, right? Oh, that's, yeah. Nothing's going to help. Yeah. Nothing's not going to hurt it because it's, that won't you're hurt. You're knowledgeable. It. It's not going to hurt at all. And, and it's going to make you know, it better. Yeah. Um, and our friend Brad Toft is our other uh, partner in it. He yep. does lending and stuff like that. And so between us, man, we're going to crush it. There's yeah. no doubt about it. Yeah, I think we have a solid team of, yeah. of the, between the three of us. It's like we can create, we just all, we all have great ideas of our own side of the, of the industry. Yep. And between the three of us, like, I think we're going to be unstoppable. Yeah, like, oh, there's no being doubt. able to build an awesome brand. And since we're rebranding it, I don't know if we could talk about it or not, but we're going to rebrand it right. to a new company. And, and that company is, is, um, Probably shouldn't say exactly what it is, but it's a yeah. one of the most well-known suspension companies in Moto, yeah. no doubt. Yeah, they go back to Pastrana, Carmichael, um, Carmichael days. Like he's a he's a brain in himself. Yeah, he's he has so much knowledge and and so much capacity in his brain of of every single thing under the sun with the motorcycle between suspension, chassis, and everything else that. It's it's a solid program, and I'm excited to to build from it, and I'm excited to crush the market not oh, yeah. only just in idaho but i'm excited to to gain traction across the country mm-hmm. and and just re, re bring reboot the company just bring it back up to a whole other level so yeah the the brand um <clears throat> the brand is super well known and and like uh, weston said i mean the guy is one of the best in the industry if not the best um and a lot of people know that so uh you know branding that out uh, is going to be really exciting. Mm-hmm. Uh, promoting that's going to be really exciting. So, you know, everybody should stay tuned and, and uh, watch for that, especially if you're a, a, you know, a rider in Boise. Proline suspension has been kind of your go-to for a lot of years. Uh, we understand that. Re- we respect it. Uh, Chad Irwin is an amazing human being. He's a great guy. And uh, we're going to take what he's done and uh, and just take it, you know, to the next level, mm-hmm. really. So yeah, no, and I'm excited. Like I said, he's he's done a lot of good work, and he's he's really big in the valley and does mm-hmm. a lot of good stuff. So, like I said, people that that get it done by him just know that it's 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 not going to be worse. It's going to be better. We have yep. a better program. Nothing on him, but I feel like we're just going to bring a whole new level to the game of 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 off road suspension, motorcycle suspension, and as well as getting into UTV suspension, yep. and then down the road Harley's sleds like yeah. you name it we want to capture the market and we want to be the number one guys not alone in boise but just re- rebrand the company that we're going to work with and yep. and uh we want to make it big and we want to be a statement just like anybody else out there yeah no it's going to be freaking awesome dude i can't wait to uh to get in there so we take that over december 1st um and then january 1st is our target for rebranding and uh, going forward with our new company but between now and then, I mean, if anybody has bikes, they need to get done. You know, let's get them in a pro line. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll take care of them for you. And Chad will be working with us for the month of December. Uh, so we'll have four weeks with him uh, just to gain his knowledge, expertise, 
and um, contact all the clients and things like that. So no, I'm super stoked about that. Yeah, it'll be good. I already got a handful of people that are, when can I drop it off? When can I send yeah. it in? So, I mean, yeah, we have, like I said, we'll, we'll, we'll be, it'll be awesome, you know, between the people that I know and my background and just the social background and platform of that of just getting people to know that, hey, we're here and we're going to have an awesome brand behind us. And, yeah. and you're not, you're not, you're just going to have the everyday Joe stuff. You're going to have solid suspension. You're going to be happy with it. You're not going to be fighting it and you're just going to have it, get it done. And you're going to go out there and win races Yeah, <laughs> or exactly. just have fun in the mountains, you know? So. Exactly. Um, yeah. And we'll also be able to do a kit suspension. Uh, so super cross suspension, mm-hmm. um, pro pro level stuff. I mean, it's going to be a big deal. Yeah. So. Yeah. So pretty much, yeah, we're going to be doing everything under the sun from just your normal day vet rider at mm-hmm. the track, amateur riders, um, trail riding riders, enduro riders, and all the way up to supercross athletes that are out doing supercross and pro motocross. So we're going to have product and settings and specs for everybody under the sun. It's not just towards one specific crowd of people. Mm-hmm. So we're going to be handling all. All types of all types of riders, like and it's yeah. like I said, and everybody's setup's gonna be different, and we have settings that are gonna be pretty close to the stuff that I raced with my last couple of years on uh, JGR. So I mean, we're gonna have the best of the best doing our stuff. So it's exciting to be able to have that opportunity to have the best of the best. <laughs> so. Yeah, no, no doubt, man. Well, hey, Weston, dude, it's been an honor having you on the on the show. I, I really appreciate it. Um, thank you for coming out, and uh, you know. Again, if you guys need, you know, business coaching, um, you know, I, I own a company called Mammoth Training Solutions, and I specialize in business coaching, sales training, and marketing. Um, love to hear from you. Uh, you can call me at 253-844-8067, and you can go on mammothtrainingsolutions.com, check out our training packages, and, uh, you know, get a hold of me. And Weston, where can people find you? Yeah, so all of my social media platform is just Weston Pike, first and last name, um, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, um, and as well as myself. I have a couple uh, companies myself, my clothing line, OnlySavagesCo.com, and then I have also, still in the furniture game a little bit, so I have my uh, my online mattress company, Dropship Straight to Your House. Um, it is www.LuxDiscountMattress.com, okay. and you can find anything you guys want on there to sleep good at night. Nice. And keep your wife happy and keep yourself happy. Right on. Well, I have one question before we go. Actually, two, but the first one is most important. Is it really illegal to remove that little tag off the mattress? No, no. Because <laughs> it it's, says, it, like U.S. law says, you can't remove this tag, and I'm like, why? What is the deal with so that? So that's for the us. So we cannot, we cannot physically remove the tag oh, okay. on sale. So the, we have to sale. sale that tag because that tag is like I was saying with all the crazy stuff with materials where they come from. Mm-hmm. It has to be. Those are all documented tags. So, like, if you have an issue with that mattress, they go off of that tag. So I send that, like, if a customer buys a mattress and it, and it fails or it's, it delivers dirty, I have to, they have to send me a picture of that code on that tag, and I send it to the manufacturer mm, so okay. they can know that that mattress is now being destroyed or out of circulation because there's a lot of companies that do sketchy stuff in L.A. They do, mm-hmm. like, refurbished mattresses, and they'll take covers and tags and resell them onto mattresses Seriously? and call them new yeah oh, that that's just nasty there's dude. a dirty grungy side of, <laughs> of furniture nasty. dude like when i mean la i'm talking like deep dirty la like yeah, yeah. these mattress Compton. companies make refurbished mattresses and tag them new Ew. and then try to sell them to furniture stores like 
And it's insane, dude. Like, I'm talking, like, recycled material in a mattress. Like, so you don't know what it is. You, you go to, imagine blood, sweat, bed well, bugs. Well, dude, as long as they get all the bed bugs off, oh, right? Dude, it, it's, it's the grossest <laughs> thing to think about. So, yeah, that tag <laughs> that tag is only for, for retail sellers to not remove. If you're, like, I rip them off myself because I, I don't like the tag on there, so I yeah. just tear them off. So, like, yeah, yeah it's, it's totally different, but it's funny. So the last question I have, and then we'll wrap this up, is, you know, how do you want to be remembered, man? Um, dude, I think it, it my, my name already kind of speaks for itself as being remembered as, as, you know, one of the baddest, toughest riders on the track. Mm-hmm. Um, take no crap from anybody. You know, I've proved it numerous times with how I handle my, my side of my anger and, and to pretty much stand up for myself. Like, I'm not going to let anybody walk all over me. And my fans love that about me. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I have, it's weird. I have my own certain type of fans. Yeah. And they're diehard Weston Pike fans. Like, yeah, for sure. They love my energy. You know, the concrete for breakfast, you know, w, w, uh, WP40 stuff I had throughout yeah. the career. So, like, I think I've just remembered as as a hardworking, um, just rad athlete that, that put in the work, fought to the top showed he could do it i'm a hard-working athlete mm-hmm. and and it showed itself you know and that's that's the kind of respect i get from people that see me they're like oh dude you're you're the raddest rider dude like you you busted your butt and you you never you never said no you never you never took no crap so yeah. it's it's one of those things where i have a lot of different remembrances from my career of people so it's, it's mm-hmm. pretty cool to have that diversity of just the different stories i hear and how people think about me it's pretty awesome that's awesome man well, congratulations on the newborn. What, about 10, yeah. 12 weeks now? Yeah, he's about 10 weeks, 10, 11 weeks, yeah. Awesome. So it's been a been a handful with that little talon yeah. little child. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, uh, yeah, it's my first kid, and it's, I wasn't, I went into it unexpected of what a kid's going to be like, other than just people telling me, and it's, it's no joke. You I, and everybody I, else. Yeah. Like, none of us realized what fatherhood really was yeah. like when you first. Yeah. Like, and now I realize it's like the time, like mm-hmm. the time you have to put in to this child is insane. Like, I'm late to everything now. Like I told you, I'm always late. Yeah. I'm like, oh, I ha- oh, I have to do this. Or like, oh, I need to go do this. Oh, I have to pack the kid with me and go do this. So it's like. I have no idea what I was getting into, but yeah. it's, it's awesome. It's a learning experience. You know, I love the kid and it's an awesome, you know, obviously there's good days, bad days still, but it's mm-hmm. like, it's, it's life. And, you know, I get to, to make another Weston. Yeah, that's <laughs> awesome. Well, no. Lord help us, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait until he's about a 15, 16. <laughs> <laughs> so. All right, man. Well, being, it's been good talking to you. Uh, we'll catch up soon and everybody out there, stay tuned, um, you know, on, on Weston's LinkedIn and or Weston's, uh, Facebook, Instagram, on my LinkedIn. We'll be talking a lot about the suspension company in the weeks to come. So you guys uh, have a great day. Thanks for joining us. Sweet. Thank you, guys.